before we begin, we want to give a shout out to new Patreon subscriber, A Murderous Giraffe. Yes, you did make us laugh, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much for supporting the show, Jason. If you want to see how you can support the show and get rewarded with more bloody goodies, make sure to check out patreon.com slash bedisgustingpod. So, no voicemails again this week. We had a short week because of reasons, so we're recording a little bit earlier, but we are going to get to an email that we got from Lalo in Mexico who asks, what are your favorite Mexican horror movies or Spanish language horror movies in case you don't have a Mexican favorite one? Thank you for your great work with Pod and for keeping my weeks filled with horror. Well, you're welcome, Lalo. So, let's start with you both. I feel like have a litany of Spanish language and Mexican favorite horror movies. Let's let's start with me. Start with you. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I feel like you're totally dis. <laughs> You'll easily say the ones I'm going to mention. So, One Wreck, which we've talked about a lot, but mostly on Patreon. <laughs> Uh, and then honestly, Day of the Beast has kind of become a foreign language favorite for mine since Megan recommended it a while back. Yay! Wow. And then, as far as Spanish language, not Mexican specifically, well, you Pan's just Labyrinth, named Spanish language. They weren't. Wait, Rec wasn't. No, Rec, Rec is is Spain. Spanish, isn't it? Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is Spain. Yeah. Where is Day of the Beast? Is that Spain, Spain too? Yeah. Okay, all Spanish language choices <laughs> by me. Uh, and then also Pan's Labyrinth, which I just adore visually. It's one yeah. of the most amazing movies ever. And uh, Terrified. Argentinian. That one's nice. so yep. good. I'm going to throw it to Zena because I know she's got one she has got to get, get off her chest. You know my heart. So I have to say Poison for the Fairies. That movie is my life. Uh, Kronos, of course. That's. Um, I thought you were going to say Kronos first. You know, sometimes it switches. I recently rewatched Poison for the Fairies, and it just brings me so much joy. So I don't know. I might rewatch Kronos tonight, and who knows? So uh, there's there's those two, and then um, even the Wind is Afraid. That's the same director yeah. uh, for Poison for the Fairies, and this one actually became a new favorite thanks to um, a Patreon subscriber that they recommended, uh, Santa Sangri. So I really uh. dig that one. Yeah, I love that one too. Yeah, those yeah. are all I would have picked, um, but I tried to mix it up. I went only Mexican horror because I could go on about all sorts of other Spanish language movies. But uh, Cemetery of Terror, forever my favorite. Uh, yes. The Black Pit of Dr. M, uh, Alucarda, El Vampiro, mm-hmm. um, and pretty much anything that... Um, you know, Guillermo del Toro does, and yeah. tigers are not afraid. I feel like, is uh, oh, yeah, one I still you... honestly, I still haven't seen it. I hear nothing but great things about it, and I still you, haven't I it. predict, will <laughs> not like it. Really, really? Oh, because it'll make me sad. Yes, oh. <laughs> see, but you thought Uzumaki would make me sad, and it didn't make me sad. Yeah, but I like this is closer in vain to probably burning bright. Kind of sad. Oh, yeah, maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> Which doesn't mean it's not amazing. It's, it's yeah, it's amazing, but it's a tearjerker. So, yeah. All right, welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone, the podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting Horror Movie Fanatic and Journalist, Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hi. And you know her from her YouTube channel and website, Real Queen of Horror, and her infinite love for the genre, Zena Dixon. Hey, Zena. Hi. And I'm John. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope your week's been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to do our quick around the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile too. So, Zeno, what's been filling your heart this week? 
So I checked out Werewolves Within 2001 on Amazon, and I loved it, clearly. That's why I'm talking about it. So a snowstorm traps town residents together inside the local inn where newly arrived Forest Ranger Finn and postal worker Cecilia must try to keep the peace and uncover the truth behind a mysterious creature that has begun terrorizing the community. So this is a perfect, fun, whodunit um, horror comedy with a similar like feel, flow as like um, Clue. And I think that if you like horror comedies like that have like the same type of humor like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, I think you'll enjoy this one. So John, that means you. I think Yay. that you'll enjoy it. So um, I love the fact that this movie has so many references to classics. And even though it's like set in snow, like the snowy type of cold weather, I feel like it's the perfect summer movie to check out because it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a great blend of murder mystery. Uh, there's a werewolf. And the comedy works. So, um, and that's not a spoiler because werewolves <laughs> is in the title. So, but yeah, so, um, but I'll leave it at that because it's still like super new. And um, if you're interested, you can check it out. I had a lot of fun with it. Really just made me laugh. And it has a fun soundtrack. So uh, then the next thing I checked out, it's been a while since I rewatched this one. And it's Who Can Kill a Child, 1976. Um, on DVD, a couple of English tourists arrive on an island where all children have gone crazy and are murdering the adults. So this is probably one of the most unsettling 1970s killer kids movies that I've ever seen. Because sometimes, not even sometimes, I previously spoke to you guys about killer kid movies. And, you know, I remember laughing at certain ones because it's like, I am not intimidated by you. But these kids are something else. Because first off, there's so many of them. Then they're really cute, where it's just like, hey, why are you acting like that? So when they start doing terrible things, and I mean, they do horrible, violent, gory terrible things it's kind of like wait a minute stop it but you're i like they honestly like creeped me out you know what this all of your reactions is. are summing up what it's like to be a parent hey is it? what are you doing <laughs> stop that but yeah they do incredibly violent things it's seriously it's insane know. it's insane like seriously it, it, this movie really did shock me um and it's been a while since i rewatched it so um, there's a couple of things that I forgot and it, it was like, whoa, but yeah, it is one of those movies where the pacing is slow, but again, once things start to happen, it'll all be worth it. Like it's just a really great buildup and it is similar to children of the corn minus, um, well, I, there's no kids wearing like a little hat, but then also there's <laughs> no, there's no super like supernatural element at all. So these kids are just this way. So, and I kind of feel like it's a hidden gem and it's pretty disturbing. Um, a while ago, Shudder used to have it on, you know, um, streaming on there. I don't know what happened. I don't even remember when they took it off, but luckily I bought the DVD on Amazon like a while ago. So, but yeah, highly recommend it. If, um, yeah, if you want to be disturbed, treat yourself. <laughs> treat yourself. <laughs> I love treat that the... that shouldn't fit, but it does. If you want to be disturbed, treat yourself. Yeah, but if you don't and, you know, you're like, hey, you probably won't look at your kids the same, don't. So, don't. <laughs> so, what about you, Megan? I watched Fear Street Part 2, 1978, uh, out now on Netflix. It uh, picks up right after the where the 1994 ended, but it's a character basically talking about their 
previous brush with the curse in the summer of 1978 at Camp Nightwing. Um, so, yeah, another shady cider gets possessed with the urge to kill and things go crazy. I am super curious. Have you did you get a chance to watch yet? No, I was holding off because I decided that I want to wait until next week so that way I can just watch both the movies back to back and feel really great about myself. I need to know what you think and I want to know what listeners think because I kind of enjoyed this more than 94 like i i really enjoy 94 but i didn't adore it as much as a lot of people seem to and okay. i think this one resonated with me a little bit more i was pretty into the sister dynamic um i thought they were both strong characters on their own and together very tension wrought uh relationship um, so that really worked for me. And it was a much higher body count. I have to admit that I kind of have a soft spot for taboo breaking horror where they're not afraid to off children. Not that I'm saying I want children to die, but it's just the kind of the ballsiness of it. So <laughs> thank yeah, you they, for uh, that disclaimer on the show. Yeah. <laughs> the bloody disgusting podcast has not endorsed the killing of children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not endorsing kid murder, but I do think it's ballsy when they just, and, and a lot of children do take some axes. It's not like, you know, Jason Voorhees would show up to camp and magically avoid the youngest children. Um, yeah, they're they're all in peril. So uh, this worked oh. for me, but I've noticed a lot of people who resonate like really, really liked 94, didn't like the more laid back 70s pacing of this one. Mm. So I'm just super curious to hear where everybody falls as far as the ranking. And I'm very curious to see how it all wraps up with 1666. Uh, and then I kept the... Um, Netflix train moving with an early look at Blood Red Sky, which will be out on July 23rd. Uh, it is about a woman with a mysterious illness. She is on a transatlantic overnight flight from Germany to New York to get a uh, procedure done with her 10-year-old son. Um, but she's forced into action to protect her son when a group of terrorists hijack the flight. Not a spoiler because it's right there and yeah. everything. She's a vampire. In the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really like this one. I kind of expected it would be, you know, like you think of some blank on a plane and you think of, you know, action and spectacle and, you know, Samuel Jackson scream about how he's had it with these Monday to Friday snakes on this <laughs> Monday to Friday, whatever the the quote is um, for TV version. But yeah, I, I kind of thought it was going to be like a fun, entertaining time, but, and it is, but I really like that it takes a more kind of 30 days of night approach to the vampire stuff. Um, and the kid is remarkable. The mom and son bond adds this whole other layer to it that just adds emotional stakes. And it just, you know, not also a spoiler, but it kind of, gave me this feeling of of a child and mom where he's stuck watching his mom fight this illness to the point where she's not quite the same so mm. yeah it was it's kind of like one of those genre benders that does everything it does action it does thriller it does horror a lot but mostly it's also a very kind of emotionally profound tale on top of all of that that just makes it re work really well it was a surprise nice yeah, I can't wait to see that one. Yeah. I got to cram a bunch of movies in really quick from the last time we recorded. You nailed it. <laughs> I got it. I did it. Just for you listeners, because I care. <laughs> Proud of you. For, 
First up, 2020's caveat on Shudder. A lone drifter suffering from partial memory loss accepts a job to look after a psychologically troubled woman in an abandoned house on an isolated island. All right, Megan, why this one? Okay, so I won't lie. I think there are a lot of this, um, like the plot setup that it stretches plausibility for me. Uh, but what? what? It, no. I know. Like, <laughs> you have to be willing to go on just buy whatever they're throwing at you, which is kind of a stretch. But what I think they do really, really well is atmosphere and scares. So I really wanted to gauge how well the scares and atmosphere worked for you. Uh, the scares, I mean, it was very slow burn for me. So I love a good atmospheric horror movie. Like less, as much as I love a movie that's got really great dialogue, I also really respect movies that are like, "Mm, we don't need that much. Yeah. Like, let's just, let's just let it be what it is. I mean, there's some really chilling imagery. The, the, the psychologically troubled woman of note has these like, episodes where she covers her eyes and like just has like her mouth open like looking scared like trying to hide there's a couple of scenes where she does that where it's just like oh that is so unsettling like if i went (laughs) to a haunted house and an actor was just doing that i'd be freaking terrified (laughs) um because you keep waiting for like a jump scare or something or what's actually going on uh you're right it stretches credulity just a little bit to get you there um but I, I felt like it was really effective as far as like atmosphere, like, um, like, you know, kind of like the witch, but not the witch yeah. sort of thing. Like just very heavy atmospheric. Like you just like the movie had like a feeling more than anything else. Um, a little bit tough to watch just because of also what's really going on and like how you like kind of feel sympathy and pity and then mixed emotions about, well, who do I feel bad for? And, but it, it was interesting. I felt like it left a lot of questions in my head. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a second. I don't know why that's happening. It's <laughs> terrifying, but I don't quite get it. And that works too. I kind of like having, I don't necessarily need my handheld for stuff. Like sometimes it totally works. Like you get a good exposition, like dump somewhere. It's fine. Um, but this doesn't have that at all. You just, it's kind of like go there's backstory, like there's yeah. flashbacks, but as far as the scares are concerned, it's not really holding your hand all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I liked, it. I really did enjoy it. it it's not a not a comfort watch by any means. I can't imagine just having this on in the background. I don't think it really Aww. serves a purpose that way. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. Woohoo! Nice. And then I watched 2019's Harpoon, which was an Amazon rental because I don't have Showtime on Amazon. Oh. Sorry. Ah, Xena. But it's also on Hulu, isn't it? it that's a, it's a part of the Showtime package. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, John. I, <laughs> I always feel torn for stuff like this. I always think, like, should I buy it and just have it? Because what if I really like it and I want to mm-hmm. watch it again? But, but I burned myself don't. on Smiley Face Killers. Oh, my God. No, so. I, I feel like I learned my lesson. So. <laughs> no, it's fine. I didn't mind renting it. Honestly, I don't mind renting the movies to watch them. It doesn't bother me, and it's supporting the genre that I love. True. And so 2019's Harpoon. Rivalries, dark secrets, and sexual tension emerge when three best friends find themselves stranded on a yacht in the middle of the ocean, desperate for survival. Why this one, Zena? 
Well, I know that the characters are unlikable, and I know that you you, you usually don't <laughs> like that, but it, it it has a purpose. But I thought that you would um, enjoy this one because of like the pacing, um, the layering of the storytelling, uh, the character development, and the comedy. So to qualify, it's not that I don't like unlikable characters. They have to have a reason to be unlikable. Okay. So, and within the context of Harpoon, are they all unlikable? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a problem? No. It works. <laughs> it's more It's more like their unlikableness are character flaws. Right. As opposed to, let's just make a really unlikable person. Now, granted, one of them is just really unlikable. <laughs> and then the layers of unlikability kind of with everybody kind of reveal themselves through the movie. What I thought was kind of funny is this was presented as a horror comedy, which really kind of tore me if I should buy it or rent it because I love <laughs> horror comedies. But what I realized was is the vast majority of the comedy comes from voiceover narration yes. that exists sprinkled through. If you took that out, not a whole lot of comedy <laughs> involved in this movie. Irony, sure. Comedy, ooh. But wasn't it like such a nice surprise, like the voiceover? Like I didn't even know that was going to happen. It was. It was It was a really interesting tension breaker. Yeah. Like sometimes narration doesn't work. In this context, it kind of did. Otherwise, it would have felt a lot heavier and darker than I feel like I would have. I don't think I'd, I'd potentially want to watch this movie again without those tension breakers mm-hmm. because of like, you know, the unlikability and what you know is going to happen throughout it. Um, I really enjoyed it, though. Like it's. It, it it does twist like back and forth and like um kind of bookends itself with some stories and, and everything yeah. else. Like it was an interesting interweaving. But the thing that I love the most actually happens in the original narration when they're talking about Aristotle's definition of friendships. And like there's three different kinds of friendships. Didn't write them down. I'm not going to quote them to you. Just go watch <laughs> Harpoon and you'll see them for yourself. Awesome. But he adds he adds another one and it's like the temporal friendship where you're a friend with someone because you've been a friend with them for so long mm-hmm. that you're just still a friend. He said, this is a lot like walking into a supermarket wearing a life jacket and someone saying, why are you wearing a life jacket? And your answer is because I was on a boat yesterday. <laughs> and I've had this discussion with my wife and friends before. Like if you met your friends now, would you still be friends with them? And a lot, sometimes it's a really hard question yeah. because you just have time in, mm-hmm. but this movie exemplifies it because pretty much right off the bat, you're like, why on earth are these people friends? Yeah. This is nuts. And it didn't go the direction that I thought. Like, I didn't uh-uh. see it being as bloody, you know, at all. No. <laughs> and like uh, the character who plays Jonah, um, Monroe mm. Chambers, he has such a range because I remember Turbo him from kid. the turbo kid and i remember him from degrassi so just the oh, fact yeah. that yeah he's in degrassi and also um this other movie called yeah knuckleball and riot girls you know mm-hmm. and it's like each time he's different so to see like at first i'm like oh he's a nice guy you know but then it just changes like over time but yeah his just his range is like crazy have you seen it- turbo kid or knuckleball I've seen Turbo Kid. Yeah, I didn't. Okay. For some reason, I didn't put two and two together. That, that was him. Because <laughs> the range. Yeah. Even within this movie, he's got a lot of range. Like from where he is at the beginning of the movie to where he is at the end of the movie, a little bit different. Crazy. <laughs> a really interesting movie to watch. Again, calling it horror comedy, it's true within the realm of the, the context of the movie itself because of the narration. But there's a lot of not funny stuff going it's, on in it's this a- movie. 
pitch black type of humor. When you think of like horror yes. comedy, I think people think of light, you know, like Tucker and Dale, but this is like biting yeah. type of yeah. humor. And and there are some points that weren't narration where you could tell it was played for a laugh, but that dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's yeah. very much like you have to take it that way. Otherwise, no, you're not laughing. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy it and I do recommend people go watch it or rent Me. it, especially if you have the Showtime pass, you could do the Showtime trial. I just didn't do it because I always forget when I do the trial and now I'm paying for all these subscriptions <laughs> that I haven't canceled. And third, and this was a Patreon pick from Kevin Kenny, uh, from the Speak All Evil podcast, 1977's House, or I think it's Hosu, Hosu. or Hosu, Hosu, Hosu <laughs> on HBO Max. This is not the movie House with that that i've discussed in the past this is the japanese movie house from 1977 a schoolgirl and six of her classmates travel to her aunt's country home which turns out to be haunted which is really <laughs> the best linear description you can possibly have for this bananas movie this is so strange the six girls in this are named gorgeous kung fu prof fantasy mac sweet and melody which are really just adjectives for them, <laughs> which is pretty much they explain why. But it, it is this is one of the single weirdest movies I've seen in my entire life. Same. <laughs> to the point where it's so hard for me to actually even describe what happens in this movie. You can't. You can't. It's so weird. And weird even by like Japanese horror, like even if, even by Uzumaki standards, mm-hmm. this is weird. Like the mix of comedy, over sexualization of schoolgirls to the point where it's like that. Yeah, these girls are like in high school, and there's a couple of nude scenes where it's like this is really weird. I understand seventies, but come on, guys. And then just some of the slapstick style special effects weirdness, which to its credit. For 1977, there was some good special effects. Like, they're weird over the top. But, like, that was, like, the year Star Wars came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all things considered, like, yeah, you look at it now, like, okay, that floating head scene doesn't look weird. And then, like, there's a piano scene that's so psychedelically strange. Don't be on <laughs> mushrooms when you're watching it. But it's it's kind of impressive. Like, if I didn't know it was made in 77, I would have thought it was 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Like, you see similar stuff like that now. So, it, but it's really, really weird. And but, I don't know how to describe it. Doesn't it kind of make you happy? It's kind of like Pee Wee's Playhouse, but to the max, you know? Well, that is a really <laughs> accurate and strange description. <laughs> he wrote this with his daughter, intending it to be uh-huh. very child fantasy like. But. If you kind of dig deeper into the research of this delightfully weird movie, um, he was kind of inspired because he grew up in Hiroshima. So that was, he was born there pre-bombing. And so, like, this is kind of this bizarre dichotomy of, you know, the ant is from an era pre and experienced hardship and the kids grew up after they were born after and they have no idea of hardship which is why they're fancy free like there is a slight blink and you miss it image of of a mushroom cloud bomb and the kids 
reaction is to giggle and call it cotton candy. And it's, so it's like, mm-hmm. it's it's this whole, like, collage of weird thought processes, you know? Like, there's subtext under there for the weirdness, but that doesn't really explain it either. So, yeah, it's child fantasy, part reflection of a generational gap, and just all-around robust, delightfully cult, weird, lovely film. Yeah, between, like, the watermelon and the bananas that happen at the end and, like, the reactions and just the general oddity of all of it, it's so uniquely specific. Like, Mm. I can't think of any. The thing that I saw, because I looked it up on Wikipedia, too, is the the writer was originally inspired to write this after seeing Jaws. I don't... It was like... Yeah. How does that work? I don't think he was inspired. Yeah. I remember seeing a um it's like a special feature an interview. He he the studio wanted him to do Jaws. Jaws was successful. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, they wanted him to do something <laughs> like Jaws and he was and like, I'm going to do this instead. <laughs> okay. This is like two movies couldn't be more separate than Jaws and yeah. House. Yeah. Um but it's crazy if if Anyone listening wants to see one of the most off-the-wall, strangest horror movies possibly in existence as far as I'm concerned, check out House on HBO Max. Or if you're into Japanese horror, it's so, again, it's one of those things that just has to be witnessed. On the same frame as, like, Kill List, you really can't describe the movie. You just kind of have to watch it and experience it for yourself. So, before we move on, what do we watch and how do we watch it? I watch uh, Werewolves Within on Amazon. Who Can Kill a Child on DVD. I watched Fear Street Part 2, 1978 on Netflix. And Blood Red Sky, also on Netflix. Well, it will be as of July 23rd. And I watched Caveat on Shudder. Harpoon as an Amazon rental, but it's also available on Showtime or with a Showtime trial. And House, uh, 1977's House on HBO Max. You can just search House on HBO and it will pop up. Okay, for next week, what am I watching? Uh, I think it's Zena's up first this time. Okay, um, I guess let's go to Tubi. Uh, have you seen Wicked Little Things? No. Okay, uh, so it's from two thousand and six, and it's yeah, it's on Tubi. All right, and Megan, have you seen Ghost Stories? Which one's Ghost Stories? It's like the British anthology from a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I like Ghost Stories. Weird ending. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What about Depraved? Also a couple years old. I don't think so. That's also on Hulu. Depraved on Hulu. Enough of what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. What's going on, Megan? Up first, a nice team up is in store uh southbound and vhs filmmakers roxanne benjamin and david bruckner team up for fall into darkness roxanne benjamin is set to direct the brand new survival thriller ball into darkness from a screenplay by david bruckner and nick tikoski the film is described as a lord of the rings uh lord lord of the rings lord of the flies tale about american (laughs) totally vastly different uh yeah a lord of the ring god dang it i cannot get rings out of my head The film is described as a Lord of the Flies tale about American backpackers stranded with locals in a vast cave system in the Dominican Republic. Nell Tiger Free, 
uh, from Servant, Thomas Doherty and Lorenza Izzo, who is known for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Green Inferno, Knock Knock. She will star in, they will all star in the film that was adapted from a 2014 Spanish language thriller, La Cueva, from Morena Films. Benjamin previously produced uh, both VHS and VHS2, and then she went on to direct a, a segment in Southbound. And she helmed the indie thriller Body of Brighton Rock, which is also on Hulu, as well as episodes of Creep Show, Riverdale, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, Bruckner, you probably know from uh, The Ritual on Netflix, and he's got The Night House coming out soon and also currently prepping a Hellraiser movie for Hulu and has also been involved with VHS and Southbound. So they're all teaming up. Um, production is scheduled to begin this autumn in the Dominican Republic. On Twitter, David Bruckner said, this is probably literally and figuratively the darkest project I have ever had a hand in. La Cueva was a found footage film, but it remains to be seen so far if they're taking a, like a found footage approach or a more traditional film approach. But La Cueva is literally the cave. So it's Lord of the Flies in a cave system. Uh, have you seen the found footage original? John at all? Have you even heard of it? No, no actually. I, I haven't either. Now it makes me want to see this movie. You, Zena, you? No. No, I haven't seen it. Any thoughts on uh, either the filmmakers or uh, a Lord of the Flies type plot? Well, personally, I would r rather a Lord of the Rings type plot, but what are you going to do? <laughs> no, which isn't true. I would rather the Lord of the Flies approach. Um, All depends on how it's done. Like... I feel like, like that's been my stock answer for the last like month. Um, I mean, lost within the cave system. It's, I don't know. Is it, did they mention like timelines or anything? Is it just going to be like the descent? Because yeah. the descent kind of devolves pretty quickly too in a cave system. I, my guess based on looking up the plot for the original movie is that they get trapped or lost under a cave system without supplies and it's dwindling supplies and they start, you know, if you're familiar with Lord of the Flies, they start turning mm -hmm. on each other because they've been abandoned and without food and trying to survive for a while. So, you know, it's more of people getting savage and mean with each other is my guess. Which is probably interesting. Yeah. It's probably Plus why caves are scary. Yeah. It's probably also why he's saying it's probably literally and figuratively the darkest project. Literally because then oh. they're dark. Figuratively because these people are probably going to be awful to each other. I only worry just if I, I understand he's probably being a little bit facetious when he says literally and figuratively. I do worry a little bit about them actually making it a really dark movie. And I only say that specifically because the movie Slenderman or Slender, whatever the new, the newest Slenderman movie was, was one of the darkest movies I've ever seen to the point where I was trying to like watch it on the treadmill and I couldn't because it was like too much light. <laughs> oh. Are you talking about like the teen one? Yeah, the one where Slender Man is a, actually a, from a viral video. Yeah, I feel like it depends honestly on. It's so hard to gauge movies like that because, you know, I saw it in a theater and I didn't have a problem with darkness. So exactly. it, it depends. And, like, and some theaters could have a light bulb problem where the movie it wasn't intended to be as dark as the poor projection no. shows. And same thing with TV settings and light coming in the room. It's so hard to say. But who knows? But yeah, I agree. You do want to be able who to knows? see what's happening. I do. 
Uh, popular YouTube critic Chris Duckman is going to direct a horror movie called Shelby Oaks. With nearly 2 million subscribers, Chris Duckman is one of the most popular movie critics on YouTube, and one of his next videos will be a feature-length horror movie of his own. He is on board to direct Shelby Oaks for Paper Street Pictures. Um, they've done The Pale Door most recently, a film he'll also be writing the script for. The project will chart the story of a fictional mid-2000s U.S. paranormal investigative team called the Paranormal, paranormal Paranoids. Multiple found footage videos have surfaced online in recent months which have prompted horror and ARG fans, ARG being alternate reality game, uh, fans to speculate about the veracity of the case and whereabouts of the investigators. One video uploaded last week appeared to show the abduction of one of the group known as Riley. Aaron Kuntz, Cameron Burns, and Ashley Sneed are producing for Paper Street, and Stuckman said in a statement, It's been a lifelong dream of mine to finally get a film off the ground, and when Aaron Kuntz and I began discussing the potential of this story, we immediately jumped at it. There's a reason why so many of my fellow YouTubers are talking about this. Shelby Oaks is going to be something fresh yet deeply unnerving. Uh, Deadline, who broke the news, also noted that Stuckman has multiple horror scripts in the works. So... It sounds, I, I feel like, is this the first horror movie that actually incorporates like an ARG within its plot? Uh, actually within the movie? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean cause we, Cloverfield did the marketing with it and right. there is some stuff, but I don't, I can't I don't think know. of anyone else. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like ARG is usually used as like a mic, a marketing tool, like a viral marketing tool, but I don't know that it's ever been incorporated. So I feel like that could make an, well, it could totally work because of his background being on YouTube because he has that potentially that big of an audience. I know 2 million subscribers doesn't mean that necessarily 2 million people are watching every video, but it could lend itself pretty heavily towards being able to market it in advance and telling people like, Hey, here's the stuff like do this before you see the movie. Like it could work better than traditional methods just because he has that immediate audience to be able to connect with. That said, I also don't know him as a critic. I don't know if he's um, like positive, negative, like truly neutral sort of critic. I I'm more fascinated when I see critics make this step into writing and making their own movies yeah because depending because it 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 puts you in a really uh potentially difficult position that you know you've stood in judgment of creators in the past and now you're going to create something that i'm sure you think is great Mm -hmm. you know because you've had experience you know you've watched all these movies you've critiqued them you've analyzed them you think that you have that extra level of knowledge or experience or whatever but actually translating that is completely different because there's so many levels between the writing the directing the photography the editing the studio interference and and everything else like this more power to him and good for him for using his platform to be able to make this step but i don't think i'm envious of him Oh, I, I think he I think he's got this he's been doing this for a while and like something I think is pretty cool is that he kept his passion for years like I think he's been on YouTube maybe since 2010 2011 mm. and I would watch some of his videos and he's pretty he's pretty mutual I mean there was one video that made me laugh because even though this movie wasn't it was it wasn't good it was not a good movie but he was being honest you know so but not in a hateful kind of way you know because we all were thinking it 
But, you know, I, I, I like seeing that because he actually does break it down and you can see that he has like a love for filmmaking. You know, he, he goes fully in. So I don't know. I'm, I think it's really cool that, that he's doing this and kind of like what you said, John, where it's just like it's I feel like it's like it's translating. You know, I think he probably always wanted to make films and now he has the opportunity to make one like. I mean, I have to watch it. I feel like we all have to. Well, you don't have to do anything, but you know, it's nice to to just support someone for their for their passion. Absolutely, so. I like seeing anybody grow, and obviously, this was yeah. his goal. So good for him. And I do think mm-hmm. it's clever to actually, you know, like the ARG is always a marketing tool, but to actually incorporate that as a plot to move your investigation along, it's you know, I'm I'm curious to see how that kind of tells yeah. his his story of this these missing paranormal people or whatever in the plot um and this news excites me because it's july which is what day one of the halloween season as far as Zena's concerns like it's, it's halloween season time now <laughs> yeah uh, i think november 1st is day one of the halloween season for some of us for so- oh it just doesn't end no yeah <laughs> okay well I think that's when the stores start to agree with you is, is about now, yeah. right? It's school Some supplies right now. What? Give it a month, though. Yeah. Ew. You're slacking I mean, Michael's school, store. But... Yeah. Uh, so this, <laughs> we haven't even got to this and we're digressing. Um, the Haunting of Hill House is coming to Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights. After being called off last year for obvious reasons, Halloween Horror Nights will be returning to Universal Studios this Halloween season with Halloween Horror Nights 30 running on select nights in September and October. And they are starting to unveil their confirmed houses announced obviously is netflix and mike flanagan's haunting of hill house that will i think it might be the first house that's been announced so far um the bet bent neck lady will be terrorizing guests and the ghosts of hill house are coming to both orlando and hollywood because sometimes they do have exclusives so no matter which coast you're on you're gonna get this house Halloween Horror Nights teases iconic scenes from the Netflix series will be featured throughout the maze, including the omni-powerful Red Room, the heart of Hill House, and the infamous Hall of Statues, where deceptive powers overtake everyone who enters. Apparitions, apparitions will appear around every corner, from William Hill, the tall man whose towering stature overwhelms everyone he encounters, to the ghost in the basement, who feverishly crawls throughout the bowels of the house in search of his next victim, to the bent neck lady... Um, the mazes will test even the bravest guests as they attempt to escape the entanglement of the estate's eternal stranglehold or succumb to the power of forces of Hill House, leaving them to wander in the endless halls alone forever. Uh, the Halloween Horror Nights events will begin Friday, September 3rd in Orlando, and Thursday, September 9th in Hollywood, and they run on select nights through Halloween night. So if you are curious, uh, HalloweenHorrorNights.com, that will have all the information you want. Zena, as a Floridian, how often do you go? Well, um, I honestly try to go once a year, you know, but obviously so last year I couldn't so go. So jealous. But the year before, I did go, and I had a magical time. So I'm really I excited. I went too! <laughs> because it's, it's just great. But obviously, you know, the closer you get to Halloween, the lines become insane, and then you have to choose very wisely, you know, because by the time you get through, it's time to go home. You know, it could be that crazy. So I don't know. I plan on going super early so I can have the time of my life. Yeah. Have you been, John, at all? 
No, I've never been to Florida. Oh, why don't you so. visit? It's nice. Really? Because I watch the news. Okay, so... well, you can visit Tampa. And we <laughs> Dang, can, uh, we he's going hard. <laughs> we can have a good time. I'm okay, and I live here. For now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for now. <laughs> you say in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> Uh, yeah. no, I'm, I'm very curious. I loved Haunting a Hill House. I, I actually, uh, know someone who is a writer on the series and it, I'm, I've always been fascinated by this concept. Like every year, like you hear about the houses that are being set up and everything. And I'm not a massive haunted house fan, but this feels different because of the theme nature of it all. I feel like it adds that extra level of immersion to it that I'd be really curious to check out. Um, but October is also a particularly busy time of year for it me, is. so I don't see myself wandering down they, to Florida. They do start it. in September. So I was about to maybe, say that. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I start in August, so. <laughs> well, oh. I, I don't live in Florida or L.A. or California, so I don't get to go very often, but I have been twice now, and I will say as a haunt, it's not necessarily scary because mm-hmm. it's so crowded that it's literally yeah. an endless stream. It's like a conveyor belt of attendees. So there's no yeah. way that you really can get scared. I, I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but the production level is so exquisite that I don't care. It's detailed. If you do get a chance to check out like the blog um, on Universal's website about this. Um, and you can see some pictures. You can even see some pictures on Bloody Disgusting. They are highly detailed. It's like stepping onto a movie set, you know? Wow. So it's like, for me, and they have original houses too, which I love. So it's like, they, yeah. they do this nice mix of like, here's properties you recognize from movies mm-hmm. and TV shows, but then here's original. So like the year that Xena was talking about, not pandemic year, but the year before they had... Like that underwater one. Did you do that one? Oh my god, that one's so magical. Where it's like you go through, like it's almost like going through the movie set of Leviathan, where you're in your underwater laboratory yeah. that's, that's awesome. being invaded by creatures, mm-hmm. and it's just like insane the creativity. So yeah, yeah. they even uh, had like an American horror story like house one year, which was really awesome. So I know you guys don't like, you're not big fans of the series, but, but even it just, was just touring cool the see. place is cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally is an aside that needs to be cut out. But, like, if we do this Beyond Fest, maybe we need to finagle a night to go <gasps> to Halloween yes. Horror Nights. So, yeah. Okay. Resume. All right, listeners, your turn. Excited to go to Florida with maybe John. Maybe I'll appear there. Maybe I'll appear in <laughs> That's California. That's a terror in it itself. <laughs> Who knows where I'll be? <laughs> I can't. I got nothing to follow that up with. Just call the number. 224-475-1040. The number is in the show notes or emails at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, Xena's going to make all our lives easier in the sea of horror movie options and clue us in on what's appearance and we should be watching. So, Xena, what should we be watching? So, on Monday, July 12th, A Quiet Place will be available on Paramount+. And it'll be also available on DVD, but this will be Tuesday, July 27th, which I'll give you an update because that's what I do. Then, also on Monday, we have Knife Corp. A high school senior selling knives door-to-door gets trapped inside with a madman and must escape before it's too late. That's crazy that he's selling knives and he's in high school, but okay. Um, But I don't know. I'm intrigued. Then the next one, Queen of Spades, will be available on Blu-ray and DVD. So according to a legend, an ominous entity known as Queen of Spades can be summoned by performing an ancient ritual. 
Then we have on Tuesday, July 13th, Held. It'll be available on VOD. A married couple trying to reignite their spiciness into their marriage gets put to the test when they are held hostage in an isolated vacation rental by an unseen voice that commands their every mood and threatens them harm if they don't obey. This sounds really cool. So it's like, remember Disney's Smart House? So it kind of sounds like the horror version of that. You guys ever seen that movie? No. Okay. All right. Well... Um, then we also have on Wednesday, July 14th, a classic horror story. It will be available on Netflix. Five people traveling by camper crash into a tree. When they recover, the road they were driving on has been replaced by a forest and a wooden house. Then on Thursday, we have The Call. It will be available on Shudder. Four friends, one phone call, 60 seconds to stay alive. In the fall of 1987, a group of small-town friends must survive the night in a home of a sinister couple after a tragic accident. Then we have just these last three movies on Friday, July 16th. It's it's a crazy week. It is packed. So we have, <laughs> we have Fair Street Part 3, 1666. It is coming to Netflix. So this is um, this third film. It's the terrifying end of the Fair Street trilogy that we've been watching over the last three weeks. The curse will finally be revealed. And then we also have Escape Room. Tournaments of Champions is hitting theaters. Survivors of a previous escape room find themselves in a new and increasingly elaborate game filled with deadly traps. And last, we have Great White. It'll be available on VOD. There are tourists who basically they get um, into this horrible crash and you know because they're on a plane and then oh no they're stranded and they're miles from shore and then oh my gosh there's something lurking underneath the surface and then also bloody disgusting tv there you go that's the bloody disgusting podcast for this week everyone if you'd like to read more from megan you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on twitter at haunted meg xena can be found on her own site realqueenofhorror.com and the youtube channel of the same name or at lovely xena on twitter and you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod, on Facebook at The Bloody Disgusting Podcast, or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. And for even more content and rewards that we're recording right after this, check us out on Patreon.com slash BeDisgustingPod. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. I'm Zena. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody. <laughs> <laughs>